Turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis 11. Now, you'll remember from last week that we are actually in a sermon series here over the next few weeks in regards to this term atonement. Now, atonement at its base definition means exactly what it says, and that is at one mint. It's an English word that's kind of pushed together to mean at one mint. So it's the point where we are made one with God, more specifically. What is that point? Well, it's the uh, crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When He dies for our sins, dies in our place, and resurrects for us so that we too might have resurrection life, new life, freedom in Jesus Christ, freedom in the Spirit, all these things God does in Jesus Christ to make us one with God. That's what atonement means. And so this morning, I'm going to take uh, maybe a different track than you would think, but this passage here plays perfectly into what we're trying to say this morning. Let's read here from chapter 11. I've never preached from this section of Scripture before, so I'm pretty pumped about it. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick, or sorry, they, they uh, had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Bless now this reading of Your Word. And Holy Spirit, would You apply it to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. What makes the good news so good? (laughs) Well, it's that the bad news is really bad. That's what makes the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ so good is our condition, our illness, our disease is so terrible. Before we can be resurrected, we must realize that we're dead. Before we need new life, we have to realize that we're living an old life. Before we need to be raised up, Spiritually, we need to realize that we're debased. 
that we're low. Before He needs to do a good work in our life, we need to realize that we've done bad works. And so this is the bad news. This is the the bad news of the Gospel. This is what we call the fall of mankind. Now, the term in the Hebrew for mankind, man, as you see here, when it says the sons of man, is the son of Adam. That's literally the term is Adam, is in the Hebrew, because his name means mankind. And Eve means mother of all living. So, when in the Chronicles of Narnia they say, son of Adam and daughters of Eve, they're talking about all of mankind. And all of mankind, the Bible says, was in Adam when he sinned. Paul says from Romans chapter 5, he said, in Adam all died. And also in Adam all sinned. In a real way, we were helping Him by our own actions in the here and now to make that action of taking the fruit, just as Nick spoke to us moments ago. Adam and Eve took the fruit, just as Caitlin said. We point back to that moment where the fall occurs, where we fall from the position that God placed us originally in, which was a good Position. Remember, everything He created was good. Everything He created was holy and righteous. And yet, we fall from this position. This is what is recorded in chapter 3 of the Bible. You remember in 1 and 2, everything God makes is good. So day 1, good. Day 2, good. Day 3, just like an artist would do. He looks at what He's drawn out, which is our world, The land, the seasons, the sun, the moon, the stars. The same stars we still look at today. He flung them into existence as someone would fling paint on a painting. And he says, you know what? That's good. That's good. Now what does he mean by good? Does he mean morally good? Are the stars morally good? No, no, no. no. He means that's exactly what I meant it to be. That's good. Day four, day five, day six, good, 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 good. And then on day six, when He creates us, and He looks at everything He had made, the Bible says, not just us, but everything, in particular us, He says, boy, this is very good. Everything God made is good because in Him is light and there is no darkness at all. And yet, there is that serpent of old who still creeps around in your world and in my world that tempts us to be God. That's the main temptation. That was the temptation of Adam and Eve. God had said, do not touch the fruit. A very simple command, just like you often give to your children. Very simple commands. Don't touch that. Don't do that. Or come over here. Here, this one is a negative one. Just don't eat of one tree that is in the midst of the garden. Everything else is yours for free, for your enjoyment, for your pleasure. Don't touch the one. And the serpent comes along and says very simply to Eve, Did God really say that? See what he does? He always interjects doubt. Did God really do that? You ever had a strong experience with God? Transforming moment? And then a year later you're thinking... Did God really do anything there? 
Was, it, was, was there anything really done there? He interjects, injects us, if you will, with doubt. And this one little question, he just changes one word, right? You ever notice that in the, in the text? God says, you will surely die if you eat of it. And what does the serpent say to her? You will surely not die. But instead, Eve, you'll become like God, knowing good and evil. Now, was she searching for a bad thing? No, I mean, we all want to be like God, right? I mean, we were created in His image after His likeness. We're told to be like God. But she's doing it her way. That's where the sin comes in. Sin is doing things our way. Nothing in all of the world is bad, remember? It's all good, what God created. And yet, to go about it the wrong way, not God's way, is what you call sin. Missing the mark. And so they partake of the fruit. And she hands it to Adam and he willingly, without any kind of reason or argumentation, takes and eats. That's all we're told. And they both die that day. Now you say, hang on, I, I don't remember reading a, about a funeral. Correct. It was a spiritual death. Now, the physical death would come later. But the spiritual death was immediate. The separation from God, the separation from one another, what happens immediately after? They begin to blame each other. Oh, it was his fault, the serpent. Oh, well, it was, it was her fault. And you know what Adam ends up saying? God, you gave me this woman. It's your fault. You see what we end up doing? We always point to the other person. Ultimately, who we're pointing to is Jesus Christ. Just like they did when He was being condemned in that false justice system of theirs, crucify Him. That's what we're really saying. God, Your way is not good to me. It's not enough for me. My way is better. And we partake. Every single one of us has. Every single one of us has eaten of the forbidden fruit. There's no one in this room who has not. Which, you know, in a way it's kind of good news. You think, man, I'm glad... Even the preacher up there, you know, is, is willing to admit that. Oh yeah, we're in the same boat in that sense. Absolutely. There's no doubt. But that shouldn't bring you comfort. And yet it often does, doesn't it? Just as the children said, right? Sometimes the reason we sin is because of other people, right? We're just doing what everybody else is doing, Dad. Yeah, and what everybody else is doing is wrong. After Adam and Eve sin, you think, man, I'm glad that's over. Yeah, and then their son who is born is begotten in their very image. Is he not? Cain and Abel. Now you move from the sin of a married couple to the sin of fratricide. Brotherly murder to the sin of the whole family, to the sin of all nations, chapter 4, 5, 6. Until finally in chapter 6, God looks down and says, 
Their thoughts are evil and that only continually. That's the way the Hebrew reads there. Only continually are their thoughts on themselves. And he says, you know what? I'm actually sad that I made them. I'm going to destroy them all and be rid of this. And so he sends a flood. And there's one that is righteous. His name is Noah. And because of his righteousness, others are saved. Isn't that how God's world works? We must be brought to Christ by others. <laughs> Jerome and I were studying a passage of Scripture uh, this week in our in- in- interpreting class where the four friends bring the paralytic to Jesus. We too must be carried by someone else. And his family is carried by Noah's faith. By Noah's righteousness. And through the ark and through the water, Peter says, they are saved. The whole world. And so now you think, okay, well good. Now now, now we've got a good restart, right? Now we've had a good cleansing. Now sin will be under control. And as soon as they get off the boat, Noah's son sins against him. Either he goes in and has sex with his mother or there's some type of homosexual act that takes place. Either way, there's a sexual sin that takes place right when they get off the boat. Because Noah's drunkenness. He, had, uh, he picked up the wrong bottle apparently and uh, kept drinking. And so, more sin. More sin and more... What does this show to us in the, in the first... From chapter 3 to chapter 10... In chapter 11 where we begin today, what does it show? It shows us the social nature of sin. Sin is never individual and closed, but rather social and relational against the world, against one another, against God. Sin is never some individual act that can be fenced off. Rather, it will affect your children. It will affect your marriage. It will affect this church. It will affect the way you teach. It will affect how you live. How outsiders see the faith. Sin affects as a ripple does, as a, as a pebble going into a placid lake and the ripples move throughout the lake, so too sin affects everything in that way. Notice Adam. Again, Paul in Romans 5 says... By Adam, all sinned. And all have died now because of his sin. That has spread to all humans. There's not one that hasn't except for Jesus Christ. He's it. And he's not born of Adam's line. Remember, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Not conceived... By a man. Born of a woman. You see what God does always? He's equal opportunity. He uses both male and female in His salvific process. It's the only way it could have happened. He uses Mary, who is the mother of God. Theotokos is what the theologians call her. Because if she's not the mother of God, then we don't have a Savior And yet, she didn't make God. 
He existed from all of eternity and took on flesh in our time. (laughs) Now put that in your spiritual pipe and smoke on it for a while. What else is this saying? It's saying that we were deprived of something that then depraved us. What were we deprived of? The Holy Spirit. God, when He made us as humans, He he formed us up out of the dust of the earth, and then He breathed within us His breath, which the term there is spirit. He put His Holy Spirit within us, which means that every human ever created would have a capacity for God's Spirit within their soul. We were made for the Holy Spirit. And yet when we're deprived of that Spirit, we become depraved. Evil. We lie. We protect ourselves rather than love. You can't protect yourself in love. That's why love is always a risk. Love is open, not closed. Love is forgiving, not bitter. Again, to protect yourself is sin in this way. But to love is to open yourself to God, to others. You see, our number one problem, the Bible says, especially in the Old Testament, and Jesus makes a point in the New, is idolatry. In the Old Testament, you have outward idolatry. Right? They make these idols with their hands of stone, of wood. But in the New Testament, you think, oh yeah, that problem with idolatry is gone. No, that's what Jesus addresses with the Pharisees, isn't it? They've set up idols in their heart. They are the ones in control of their salvation. They can make the work happen. And Jesus says... You look nice on the outside, but inside is dead man's bones. You're just a grave. A grave is prettied up on the outside, flowers smelling good. Inside it's rotting and stench. That's what sin does to us inside. And it will eventually bleed out in our hatred for one another, in our unforgiveness, in our factionalism and elitism that we have all over the place, even within the church. You see, the question is, are we building our kingdom or God's? Is it our way or God's? And it's such a simple thing, isn't it? And we say, oh yeah, I'm going, I'm going God's way for sure. Is that what your fruits show? Is that what the work of your life shows? Is that what your co-workers would say? Or would they say, oh no, he... He's all about himself. He works only for himself. He's building up his own kingdom, not the kingdom of God. You see, we're not the litmus test here. We're not the arbiter of this thing. Rather, God is. Rather, other people can show us what is truly in us. We don't really like that, I know. Trust me. Because I, you know, I shrug what other people say off all the time. And yet, they hit nerves sometimes, don't they? And the reason we get so upset sometimes is because, well, we know it to be true. 
we're not really as good as we like to clean ourselves up to be. Just like my sons will often dress themselves red on red. You understand what I mean? Yesterday, Paul uh, uh, Jackson wanted to wear black and gold up top, and so he put on another pair of black shorts. So, you know, he's, he's going all black. <laughs> it's a blackout, you know. When they dress themselves, they think they've done a good job, and they come in there, and, mom, and Mama says, Son, what are you doing? What do you have on? You know, we're the same way spiritually, aren't we? We try to dress ourselves up. People think nicely of me. People think I'm very giving. People think I'm very kind. And the way God sees us, Son, you're still playing a game. Let me dress you. Put on Christ. Stop dressing yourself. Put on Christ, Paul would say. Notice what they say here. They say, let us. <laughs> Which again deals with the social nature of sin. Now what are they trying to do? Let us build a city for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. Now remember, name in the Old Testament always represents reputation. Alright, so their reputation here is that's what they're building. They're not just building a city, a tower up to the high heavens, but rather they're saying we can build the Titanic and nothing can take it down. There's nothing in this world that can take down what we've made. And as we've seen with the Titanic and other major buildings in our world, they come down. Even against human ingenuity, they come down. Now, they build this big tower, right? And yet it's almost funny here that God has to come down to see the tower. (laughs) He says, let us... Interestingly, which is repeated multiple times in this passage, in nine verses, let us is repeated about four times. Let us come down and see this tower that they're making. Because it hasn't reached the heavens. It's not even close. And let us confuse their languages, God says. So they say to let us, right? Follow me. And God says to let us is. You have to extend the S to show the apostrophe. What's going on here? Well, why are we social? Why is sin social? Because God is social. Isn't He? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're not talking about Allah who is one individual. Rather, this is the triune God of Christianity. Father, who sends His Son and who who the Son is begotten of the Father. And the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Who is blessed forever. Amen. What a God that we serve. Not some static, easy to understand God that we formed in our image, but rather one that always boggles reason. Always trumps logic. And yet is the one who created logic. Our basic building blocks of life. Electron, neutron, and proton. Form the atom. Three and one. One and three. He seems to be tipping us off of who He is all over the place. And yet, we still make Him into our image. Something that can be controlled in our mind. 
He's not controllable. Through reason or through scientific method or logic. And yet none of those things are bad because He created them all. But He's not defined by them. Remember remember what He tells us His name is? I am. In other words, He defines Himself, not something else. You know, I, when I say, you know, drum says, hey, what, who are you? I say, well, I'm Marshall. And my dad is X, Y. My wife, Z. So and so. You know, I have all these things that define me. God, I am. Period. I am. I define everything. <laughs> They're trying to build a city. They're trying to build a name for this. And isn't that the essence of sin? We try to make our own way to God. We define our own rules to God rather than submit to His. We try to make a name for ourselves, don't we? And this is sin. So what's happened to us? How far have we really fallen? Has it just been a small fall? Did we just kind of trip? Or is this deep? Here's our state and condition now. Hold on. We're without God. We don't know God when we come into this world. There's an ancient story of a king who had twin sons. One was educated and properly you know, taught language. And so the other was held off and lived in a, in a natural environment of the jungle where people never spoke to him. Never taught him anything. The one grew up, of course, to be normal. The other beastly. Without religion. Without God. We don't know God in our natural state. We're without God in our natural self. We also don't love naturally. Instead, we protect ourself. I mean... Darwin's right. When we're left as a beast, just as another animal, yeah, when we're cornered, we're going to protect me. I mean, a caged animal. But you know what? That's not the Christian life, is it? Laying down your life for your friends? That's not normal. Again, my Navy SEAL books that I've been reading... The thing that makes the seals so elite is they're not in it for their self or for their own name. That's why even the guys who write these books stay anonymous. They use different names. They still don't let you know who they are because it's not about them. And every one of them that do the job, they believe the other guy on their right and left can do the same thing they're doing. And they're willing to jump on the grenade when it rolls around when they could escape and instead they jump on it for the sake of their team. That's not natural. That has to be taught. Our natural state is to protect ourselves and not to love. Also, there's no fear of God. We don't fear Him, which is why we trust ourselves. Which is why we're willing to do what we want because really when we're sitting here and Dad over here is giving us the evil eye, we don't really think about repercussions. We think, you know what? 
now is what matters. Not later. Not what He's told me before. But now. Because I want to please myself. We don't fear God. Naturally. In our natural state, we're atheists. Not that we don't believe there is a God. We just, again, don't care. We don't care what He says. We don't care what He's told us to do. We don't care about His love. We don't care about His sacrifice. Just like the military people who give their lives for us, we just don't think about it. It means nothing to us in our natural state. What we've done naturally is to set up idols, and the worst idol is me. That's the one I bow to most. We're self-willed. The Bible says we're like our father, Satan. Again, I don't really like to call people children of the devil. This sounds like a movie or something. Reminds me of children of the corn. But the reality is, in our natural fallen state, we are all like our Father who is a liar, John says. If you lie, if that's your life, if your life is a lie, that's just like Satan. That's what he does, is lie. It's what he always comes to do, is to kill, to cut off relationships, to say, you're dead to me. I know we joke about that. But that's what we really do to people. We kill them. Because of our own pride and protection. We're self-willed. We have the stamp of Satan on us in our natural state. Look, I know this is not a pretty painting. I'm painting for you. But have you not found living with yourself, much like Charlie Brown found out when he was contemplating his evil actions, Boy, this is going to take a while, isn't it? To understand. It's going to be more than one night I'm going to have to really think about this. This is deep. It's deep-seated. It's not just our actions either. He said, well, I'm going to clean up my actions. There's a root to those branches. Just as we were, we were cutting down a butterfly tree yesterday at Serving the City. We first lop off the, the branches. But you know what? Those branches have a stem. That stem has roots. And those roots are tough to pull up. But if you want to get the whole tree, you don't want the thing coming back, you've got to rip the roots up. The roots of our sin, of our selfishness, run so deep within us to the very core of our soul. That's why the Bible distinguishes between sins... And sin. Cleanse me of my iniquity and wash me of all my sin. Singular and yet plural. Notice sin means our nature, who we are at core. There's a problem in the world. Look, I don't have to belabor the point this morning. Original sin, 
The fact that sin is spread rampant in our world to everybody that's ever lived is the most empirical data we have. Pick up any newspaper. Get on drudge right now on your phone. Well, not right now, but... It's all bad news. There's wars that are brewing. There's people that are killing and lying and raping and stealing. You name it, empirically. You've done it. You've participated too. We all have. It's the most empirical thing, most tangible thing to touch and see in our world is that sin has run rampant. It's everywhere. And in everyone in our natural state. (laughs) We're enemies of God. That's what we are in our natural state. But praise be to God. You know what the good news is this morning? We're called to a supernatural God. A supernatural life. A supernatural salvation. We don't have to live debased and natural beasts. We're not just animals. There's that capacity to know God. There's that nudging and elbowing that the Holy Spirit does to you. Say, He's telling the truth. And you say to yourself, is this going to be my way or God's way? Am I going to build my tower My kingdom, everybody else is God, or your kingdom, your cross. The good news is God came down. Isn't that the good news? Let us come down. That's an image of the incarnation. God has not left us in our natural state. He could have. But instead, He has become one of us in order to raise us. Hallelujah! Which means praise be to Yahweh. Praise be to I Am. He's come down and gotten us. Rescued us from the dead. Rescued us from our bondage. And freed us to live in the Spirit. And not unto the flesh, if we will repent and believe. Now these kids right here were honest today. And Jesus says by His own words, for such is the kingdom of God. Doesn't He? Let the little children come to Me, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now let me, let me ask you something. As a proper adult, as a seasoned member of our society, will you be willing to humble yourself like a little child today? And say to God, say to us, Yes, Lord, I know I've sinned against You. I've sinned against my brothers. I've sinned against my sisters in this world. And it's affected my children. It's affected the generations that come after me. But I want to turn that around, God. I'm willing to say I've lied. Hey, hey Mr. Marshall, I've lied. Thank you, Reagan. For being honest. Because those who aren't honest are already being dishonest about it. Are you willing to confess your sins to God this morning? It's the only way out, it's the only way up.
confess, repent, which means to turn away from these sins and believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. Look, we've fallen a long way, but hasn't He come all the way down to help us? It's exactly what we celebrate during Advent. It's exactly what we celebrate when we talk about Him dying for us. He goes all the way to Hades and then brings us back up. He comes down from heaven all the way to the pit and then goes all the way back to God, shaping a V for victory. That's atonement. That's salvation. That's God's good news. His supernatural work this morning. And He can do it right here in this building. He can save your soul. He can free you from your bondage. Isn't that good news? Yeah, it's good news. It's the best news in all of the world. And it can be yours this morning by faith. Do you believe it? Do you know it? How are you living it? Because you can. Quit working on your tower. He confuses the languages to help us. We don't need to be doing that. That's not what we need to be doing. The Holy Spirit's here to unify us this morning. Jesus is the last Adam who raises us to God. Will you confess? Will you repent? Will you believe? Expect it now. He's here. He can do it right now. Amen.